Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis for conservatives today. And we're brought to you by Gabby. Are you sick of paying too much for your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance? Are you tired of wondering if you're paying too much? Well, worry or wonder no longer. Gabby.com slash martini is where you want to go to find out where you can get the best deal for the same coverage. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the podcast. Jim, let's start with our good martini. And Jim, the pattern is continuing. We talked about how on Friday, Joe Biden went to Minnesota. He came back late that night. He had an on-camera statement about the death of Justice Ginsburg. He looked terrible. Uh, Saturday morning, Lid called around 830. Uh, Then Monday, he was in Wisconsin. Uh, Tuesday, Lid called, meaning no press coverage, no public events for Joe Biden, around 920. Same thing today. Yesterday, he was off doing a number of events, actually. And then today, once again, no public events for Joe Biden. It's great to be the pool reporter on the off days, right? Uh, But this is a, a pattern. Joe Biden is showing he can't consistently campaign. And from what I've been told, Jim, being president's actually harder than campaigning. (laughs) <laughs> At least for many presidents, yes. My colleague, Michael Brennan Doherty, has a good piece on the National Review homepage. It has the not-so-subtle title, Seriously, Can We Talk About Joe Biden Now? And one of the things he notes is that it's you know it's not just folks on the right who are inherently skeptical of Biden who are making this point. He points out that Mark Leibovich of the New York Times wrote this piece where he said that you know the Biden campaign's events are kind of like NFL games in the pandemic. He quote, quiet, eerie, and almost entirely fan-free, end quote. Um, And he goes through all the reasons for this. But, you know, the fact that the New York Times is writing about this now means, okay, this is not just some partisan cudgel. People who are uh, not opposed to Biden, and many would accuse them of being supportive of Biden or rooting for Biden, are noticing and saying, okay, wait, this is weird. This has become a serious issue. And the fact, look, it's a Thursday. I had to check right before I said that, dear (laughs) listeners. It's it's September 24th. Early voting has started in a whole bunch of states. Why isn't Joe Biden doing these things? And one of the points people would say, oh, yeah, it's because of the coronavirus. Okay, but he's finding ways to do stuff on these other days. And any day he wants, he can go to his driveway uh, where there are a whole bunch of reporters are set up, more than just the pool reporter. And he can answer questions or he could make a quick statement or he could tape a video or, or there's a whole, a whole bunch of things that he could be doing every single day to run for president. And he's not. We keep being told that he's doing these virtual fundraisers. And I have no reason to think he's not doing it. But similarly, it's September 24th and the Biden campaign is sitting on a giant pile of cash. I think they've got enough money. I'm curious about what they need all the money for. And oh, by the way, not that long ago, Biden had promised Democrats who were starting to raise concerns about this, he was going to be running vigorously until the end. Well, taking, you know, every third day off is not running vigorously to the end. He's not doing a lot of visits to swing states. Yes, he went to Wisconsin once. Yes, he went to Michigan. He went up to Pennsylvania a few weeks ago. But he's, he's traveling about once or twice a week. This is a really light schedule. And at some point, you stop believing that this isn't a deliberate strategy, although I guess maybe it is. And again, maybe conceivably this could be debate prep, but this would be, this now means it's okay to raise the bar for debates, for, for the debate performance of Biden, because he's spending a lot of time preparing for this. And if he doesn't go out and blow, out, blow the doors off Trump, you can probably say, okay, you know, something a little strange is going on here. Um, this is not quieting down. And so the simplest way for the Biden campaign to put these murmurs of concern to bed 
is just go out there and do more events, do them day after day and not do these, you know, hey, 830, we got nothing going on for the rest of the day type days, particularly the closer we get to election day. No, that's a very good point, and we're establishing a pattern here. And like I said, if the Republicans want to uh, really put Biden at his uh, most vulnerable on the debate stage, number one, exactly what you just said, uh, raise the expectations for the debate, especially all the the flip-flops that he's done, the moving to the left, uh, set the expectations that he's got to explain why he's doing that, why he hasn't been consistent. And then the fact that uh, if you can get something out there, that's true, obviously, uh, the day before, the day of the debate, and he's got to spend energy focusing on that when apparently he can't uh, spend a full day engaged two or three days in a row, uh, that could affect the performance as well. And so Biden is not instilling confidence. I know you got a lot of folks on the left, especially Twitter left, which is always the rational ones, uh, saying, oh, you people said the same thing about Hillary at, uh, in 2016. Well, um, we're not the ones calling the lid here, Jim. Uh, Joe Biden's campaign is doing it day after day, usually before I even get in the office. You know, Greg, I'm going to put a, I'm going to lay down a marker here. If I'm right, please go back into the archives and play this back. And we can, we can spend a lot of time chuckling about how clairvoyant and bright I am. If it doesn't come to pass, please erase this recording and make sure <laughs> no one ever hears it. So look, I hope Joe Biden's health is fine. You know, he went out and gave the fine convention speech and, you know, he goes out and he seems okay. You know, a little, little confusing. He is not, you know, the late stage Alzheimer's patient that some of his critics claim he is. I hope he's fine. If he's elected, I hope he's able to handle the duties every day until the day he leaves office. But if Biden gets elected and if he becomes president and if at some point during his presidency, he announces that he has some sort of condition, could be degenerative, could be could be something, whatever is serious enough for him to not be able to serve as president. The public reaction is going to be apoplectically furious and justifiably. By the way, at that point, I looked it up. There are no do-overs. There are no take-backs. There is no way to remove a president who um, was dishonest about this. And for people to say, oh, Jim, that would never happen. Nobody would go along with this. Huh. Look, go back and look up, look up Paul Songus. Paul Songus told the American people he'd beaten cancer and he was fine. He had a recurrence, and he, if he had been elected, he would not have served out his term. He died shortly before Inauguration Day, 1997. You know, I hope Biden's fine. I, I guess Biden's fine. It would be very tough for them to hide something very, very serious. But when he holds to this kind of a schedule, you're going to have people asking these kinds of questions. And if it is that worst-case scenario, that there's something wrong with Biden and they don't want anybody to know, one, his presidency will be effectively over, not just because he'll have to step down, but also I think Kamala Harris and anybody else. Th- this would backfire on the Democratic Party and Biden's successor uh, and Harris and anybody else who was involved in the Biden administration very quickly and very badly. And I hope this is not what's going on here. We haven't seen the 25th Amendment of Oaks since the early days of the Palmer administration uh, as a result <laughs> of the nuclear weapon that was in the Los Angeles area. So we certainly don't want to see it uh, have to get invoked. But, I mean, the evidence is kind of piling up here, uh, and, and we'll see how— And it'd be a much stronger case than they had against David Palmer. Yeah, that was weak. That was weak. In fact, within the same 24-hour time period, he was back in office. It's crazy. All right. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's talk about Gabby, because no matter what you think of the presidential campaign, uh, there's only good news when it comes to Gabby, because when you've had the same car insurance or homeowner's insurance for years, you just kind of get trapped into paying your premiums and not thinking about it. You know, if you get a good car, you've got it for several years, you, you want to stay in your home for a number of years, you're not necessarily comparing rates over and over and over again. You got a good deal when you started, and so you figure, oh, it's still good, let's just keep it that way. 
But that's not always the case, especially if you've had you know damage to the house with an insurance claim or had a wreck with the car and that sort of thing. Stop overpaying for car and homeowner's insurance. What you can do now is see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have, thanks to Gabby. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers. You just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you already have. Gabby customers save $825 per year on average, and if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing you have the best rate that is out there. And they will never sell your information. So no more annoying spam or robocalls. Just thinking about saving $825 a year on average. And in some cases, it'll be a lot more than that. And so I bet you can find something to do with that extra cash in your pocket, either saving it, investing it, or or just uh, buying something else you'd like instead of shoveling it to an insurance company uh, that's charging you more than, than you need to pay. All you have to do is go to Gabby.com, and then you go on there, you fill in a, a bunch of prompts real quickly, simple information you'll know off the top of your head, and then you link to your current uh, insurance policy. They'll tell you within just a couple of minutes how you stack up with the other companies for the exact same policy. And a lot of times you can save a ton of money. We didn't have to make the change, but we're grateful to know that we do have a good policy right now. It's totally free to check your rate. There's no obligation. Take just a few minutes, do it right now, and stop overpaying on your car and home insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now. It's a multi-layered bad martini. Uh, Louisville was our bad martini yesterday, kind of expecting, unfortunately, what we did see uh, yesterday. Uh, The demonstrators were in the streets quickly following the news that um, two of the officers will not be facing any charges uh, in the shooting death of Breonna Taylor from back in March. Uh, One officer will be charged with wanton endangerment, which is uh, not directly related to the shooting of her. It's about recklessly shooting uh, the walls in the apartment and putting other lives in danger, which did not make a lot of people happy yesterday. Uh, Daniel Cameron, the attorney general of Kentucky, a lot of people, uh, especially on the right, talking about what a good presentation he made. And on a lot of levels it was, but I think this really wasn't about presentation. It was about the facts in the case. And what we do know is that the boyfriend did fire the first shot at police. And at that point, it becomes a self-defense situation. And so um, the fact that there were you know riots in the streets and two cops shot last night, hopefully uh, they're both going to make it. They're both listed in stable condition last I heard. But damage in Louisville, damage in Washington, D.C., damage in Seattle and other cities around the country. But, Jim, there's other things uh, about the investigation that are that are kind of frustrating. Number one, and most importantly to me, there's no body cam footage of anything related to the actual bursting into the house and the shooting. It's only the folks who came on the scene later that had body cam footage. And I feel like a lot of this stuff could be at least clarified, if not cleared up, uh, if we had that footage. Who shot when, uh, what the situation was, and even with the debate now over the the no-knock warrant, which Cameron says they did identify themselves before bursting in. How loud did they do it? Did they identify themselves again when they came in? They've got the neighbor's testimony upstairs. So you understand, I think, why the... The grand jury came to the conclusion that it did, but there's a lot of things that could have been done better that possibly could have avoided this tragedy altogether. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, Greg. I remember when the concept of police body cams first came along, there was a perception that this was going to 
resolved these controversies fairly quickly and easily. That uh, and the argument, which made a lot of sense at the time, was that this would be good for uh, those getting arrested. That this would, you know, ensure an easy way to make sure the police were held accountable, and that this would protect the police as well from false accusations of police brutality or misconduct. If there was an accusation, you'd just go to the videotape of the arrest, see what happened, and either the videotape would verify the allegation or the videotape would refute the allegation. And oh, by the way, that once people realized that cops had body cams, they would basically say, okay, I'm not going to make that false accusation because they're going to go look at the videotape and they're going to see that I'm making this up. It hasn't really shaken out that way, or at least not nearly as completely as we'd like to see. I'm sure in many cases, the presence of body cams has probably deterred some sort of false accusation or cleared the name of a law enforcement officer that's been wrongly accused. But there are a lot of cases, too many cases, where you find out that the body cam was damaged or the body cam was accidentally shut off or various other reasons where the body cam that was supposed to be there was not operating when it was needed the most. And there are many cases where people have suspected this is the police shutting them off because they know they're going to do something that's going to look bad on camera um, or that this is just merely bad coincidences or, or, or things like that. I think if you're, you know, when you have this, every time a police body cam go accidentally or for one reason or another isn't on the way it should be surrounding a police uh, shooting or police use of violent for, of, of force in one form or another. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that should raise our eyebrows and bring a great deal of scrutiny. Because if they're only going to be turned on when police are in non-tense, non-life and death situations, well, they don't really do any good. Right? We, we don't really need them for the writing somebody up for jaywalking type situations. We need them for precisely the sorts of no-knock raids and whether people, I know people are disputing about whether this was indeed a no-knock raid, whether the police called out that they were police, whether those inside could hear it and, and things like that. Uh, David French, by the way, had a very good point where he basically said that past court rulings have given the police wide latitude to execute these sorts of no-knock raids, in part because if you knock uh, and you don't you know, immediately intervene upon the people you're, you're trying to arrest, they can flush the drugs down the toilet, they can destroy the evidence, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then the flip side is we have the castle doctrine, which basically if you have somebody coming into your house and you think they're there to harm you, then you have a right to use deadly force to defend yourself. Depending on jurisdiction, check the details in your area before you start shooting at people. Um, when you put those two things in conflict, it's almost a formula that is almost guaranteed to end up in some situation where the cops are coming through the door, dressed all in black, armed to the teeth, maybe in goggles and masks. And, you know, you don't you know you, they might identify themselves as police, but maybe you don't hear them or you don't completely understand it because you just know in the middle of the night, somebody just kicked down your door with a gun and somebody's going to shoot back. And before you know it, a, you know, already tense situation ends up tragic in this particular situation. It, it feels like we're caught in this cycle where police misconduct is used to justify rioting and perhaps rioting is used to justify police misconduct. Um, it is deeply frustrating that they were having this raid going on and nobody thought to record it. If you're going to do something like this, then you have an ob- then you know you want to have that video record. And if you are a policeman and you don't want a video record of your actions, well then I get nervous. Then I start thinking, wait a minute, why don't you want people? What what is there what's going on there? that you don't want the public to see? And what are you afraid the public is going to see that will change their opinion of you? Maybe it's entirely legitimate. We've seen police shootings where, you know, it's a judgment call. They have to make a a tough decision in a split-second situation. Lives are at stake. They're not sure if the the shots they're hearing are coming in their direction or coming in some other direction. We understand police are human. We understand police are going to make mistakes. But there has to be accountability. And every time a, a police body cam doesn't work, it undermines that system of accountability that is necessary 
for the public trust to operate and for this for us to function as a country. Yeah, I mean, it's the only impartial evidence uh, you're going to get in, in some situations. You're going to have uh, different parties, obviously, uh, giving their versions of the story, and they might be telling the, the, the truth to the best of their knowledge, but it's a traumatic situation. And as we've seen in a lot of cases, uh, sometimes memories uh, in traumatic events aren't the clearest. And so having that uh, would be helpful. It would protect the officer, uh, potentially. Uh, it would also clear up conflicting testimony. But it is no excuse also for the violent rioting. I mean, I think a lot of folks saw the social media footage of the U-Haul truck ready to go with the abolish the police signs and shields and other things right at the same time the announcement was made. They were going to do this uh, regardless. Maybe they assumed that the announcement would not be to their liking. I don't know. But they were ready to go. Uh, there were clashes with police uh, even during the daytime. The shots rang out and shot the officers uh, after darkness had fallen. But uh, damage being done in Washington, uh, damage done as well, uh, all the way from the Black Lives Matter Plaza, as they call it, near the White House, up to Adams Morgan. Uh, a lot of chaos there and other uh, cities around the country as well. And so it's just unacceptable. I think America is just sick of this, and especially when it looks completely premeditated like it did in Louisville and some other places last night, uh, Americans are going to be sick of it real quick. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is. So tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave Leave a comment, a review, and subscribe. All right. Let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And let's move on to Minnesota. Usually these stories get attention going the opposite way politically. But uh, let's go to WCCO, Minneapolis. A Brooklyn Center, Minnesota family says their garage and trucks were burned early Wednesday morning. And they believe it was because of the Trump 2020 flags that were draped over them. The FBI and ATF have been called in to investigate the fire at Dennis and Deanna Mala's home. Quote, I heard just a big, loud boom or bang, Dennis said. The first thing for me was my kids, my wife, what's going on? The family's garage, trucks, and trailer were burned just after 3 a.m. Wednesday. Graffiti on the garage read Biden 2020, BLM, shorthand for Black Lives Matter, and the anarchy symbol of an A with a circle around it. Two 3x5 Trump flags were on the trailer and truck. Dennis says he saw three people running from the home. He focused on getting his children, ages two and five months, out of the house. So, uh, Jim, uh, we'll see where this investigation goes. If it's true uh, that that's the motivation for this, uh, it's absolutely horrific. We've just seen this happen a lot in the other direction, though. Uh, People allegedly writing on restaurant receipts. I don't tip black waitresses or uh, things aimed at college students. And after a little bit of investigation, it turns out they wrote it themselves or they uh, didn't happen the way that they said it happened. And so we've seen that false alarm too many times. I'm not saying that's the way it is this time, but it might be good to just let the investigation play out a little bit before all the fingers start pointing. First of all, whoever started a fire with a two-year-old and a five-month-old in the house, um, is, is just the worst of humanity and deserves to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Having, you know, one of the things that does seem, you know, we do see people who uh, fake crimes against themselves. It goes back to, oh, goodness, I can remember, you know, it was somebody in, in one of the Obama campaigns carved something into them. Thinking back to Morton Downey Jr., um, who claimed that he was attacked by skinheads 
and they had carved a swastika into his forehead in this vicious, violent attack. And people pointed out that the swastika was the way, you know, it was reversed, meaning it's the sort of thing you'd do if it was something you were doing to yourself in a mirror. Um, look, these things happen. You know, you, you have people who decide to fake crimes against themselves. We don't know if this was the case here. There are two things that jump out at me that seem a little bit strange. So the first is, and there's a picture of this on the local CBS affiliate. You can see Biden 2020 in kind of a purplish uh, spray paint. And next to it, BLM. And then what appears to be the anarchy symbol. But Greg, I'm sure you've seen the anarchy symbol all over the place. Usually it's the letter A made out of three straight lines extending and a circle around it, but extends outside the circle. I don't know about you, uh, Greg, but I've never really known anarchists to be uh, really top of the line for their penmanship. <laughs> uh, drawing outside the lines is more or less everything they're all about. So this is really just an A in a circle. This is the sort of mark you wanted to see on your term paper grade when you were going to school. So it's a little unusual. It's, it's almost like a typo. It's graphically not what we would expect from an anarchist. But let's assume this is genuinely an anarchist BLM supporter who also wants people to vote for Biden 2020. It's kind of anarchists who want bigger government taking a more extensive role in our lives. Is there a, a confused anarchist movement out there, Greg, that there's kind of, I think it was like, you know what I'm, fi- I'm actually finding the thinking of this self-described anarchist a little bit anarchic. It's not following the rules. Is it anarchist or is it Antifa, though? Because Antifa's left. And Oh, interesting. Okay, so is, Ant- is, is Antifa, by the way, uh, wait, is it Antifa or Antifa? I call it Antifa, but um, I don't know. Okay, because Antifa sounds like a, you know, cute line of, like, kitchen appliances or something. <laughs> this is my new blender from Antifa. Um, the, the Antifa, I always thought, you know, so maybe, maybe they decided to revise the anarchist symbol. And it would make kind of sense. We're anarchists who just who choose to stay inside the lines. Maybe that's that's their you know, <laughs> much like we are the kind we're anti-fascists who fight that which we oppose in extraordinarily fascist tendencies or something. So yeah, it could very well be that. And again, this is you know, but it is a little bit strange because you don't usually see this sort of you know Biden twenty twenty. The other thing is also you've just sprayed Biden twenty twenty on somebody's garage as a giant sign to everybody saying who you support, and then you've set it on fire. It's kind of like building a billboard and then painting all over it or something. Yeah. Well, nobody accused uh, crazy people of, of uh, having a lot of rational thoughts. So uh, whoever did this is, is not well. Uh, and if it uh, is uh, from the far left, uh, that, is, that is chilling that they are actually going to people's homes and then trying to intimidate them this way. But again, let's, uh, let's make sure we let it play out and hopefully we'll get some news soon. We do have the FBI and ATF. They're pretty darn quick on this. So uh, I'm not sure exactly how soon we can expect results of, of the probe. But Well, Greg, it's not like there's been violence in the Twin Cities lately. No, they, they, they don't have anything else to focus on there. <laughs> so we'll see. Jim, another crazy day. But uh, you and I have more work to do than Joe Biden, apparently. So good luck and I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to find out if you are paying the lowest possible rate for your insurance coverage. Go to gabby.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We love to see those kind reviews and five-star ratings. We're always grateful for those. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.